Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will unlock the book on immunity and inoculation. In 1928, 21 children were vaccinated against diphtheria in Australia, and 18 fell gravely ill. Twelve of them died within the following 48 hours. In 1955, a serious incident involving the polio vaccine developed by Cutter Laboratories occurred in the United States. Because Cutter's vaccine contained live poliovirus, 40,000 out of 120,000 children who had been inoculated with it became ill, hundreds were paralyzed, and five died. In 1996, the Japanese pharmaceutical company Green Cross Corporation used the sera from patients who had AIDS and hepatitis to make a hepatitis B vaccine. This incident resulted in more than 400,000 people contracting hepatitis B and AIDS. The damage caused by such incidents was shocking. Behind every victim was a devastated family who lost a loved one. Each incident drew considerable public attention. When it comes to vaccination safety, it is mothers who are probably the most acutely attentive. They make a choice to vaccinate their children to prevent infections because all they desire is for them to be safe and healthy. However, as incidents involving vaccines become widespread and alarm spreads, careers are faced with the dilemma of whether vaccination will help or harm a child. As soon as mothers begin to probe the literature surrounding safety, it reinforces their vaccine skepticism. Like a snowball tumbling down a mountain, getting bigger and bigger until it is unstoppable, once doubt sets in, it is increasingly difficult to counter people's fears. If you share similar disquiet about the importance of vaccines, perhaps on immunity will provide you with some answers. This book was written by Eula Biss, an American author who started worrying about vaccines when she became a mother. In the book, she conducts a series of studies around vaccination, reflecting on issues related to society, religion, morality, medicine, and science. We will divide the book's content into three parts. Part 1. What is immunity? Part 2. Misconceptions surrounding vaccines. Part 3. The truth about medicine. Part 1. What is immunity? Before Bis became a mother, she viewed all bodies as vulnerable. She accepted that humans have many weaknesses. But once she had her first child, that knowledge made her fearful. It manifested as all sorts of anxieties about her child's safety, including worry about vaccinations. She fretted about whether to vaccinate or not. Were the vaccines effective, and what could be their side effects? This embarked on a journey of discovery, researching to find the answers to these questions. It led her to write this book and to the idea that immunity is closely linked with the belief in vaccinations. To follow her journey, let's begin with the first key point of this book, immunity, which is also sometimes called humanity's natural first line of defense. The word immunity was first used mainly in legal texts to refer to an individual's exemption from their services and obligations to the state. Toward the end of the 19th century, the word acquired the meaning freedom from disease. In other words, people longed for exemption from diseases in the event of an epidemic. Our complex immune system comprises the separate immune functions of various parts of the body. The surface level of this defensive system is the skin. It is the most immediately visible aspect of the complex system dedicated to our immunity. Our skin shields us from external contamination and damage.
Beneath the skin, there are numerous immune cells, which can devour pathogens. We can also find similar membranes in both the digestive and respiratory systems, where there are also the antibodies that provide our body with long-term immunity. Humans are born with this immune system, which is why we assume it to be a natural line of defense. Many mothers constantly worry about their children's health. They worry if the child's surroundings are safe, if their immunity is strong enough, or if they will be injured or, in some other way, negatively affected. Mothers can wish for their children to live in a completely sterile environment. However, from the moment a child is born, they are subjected to all the infections that populate our world. In fact, a child is exposed to microbes and bacteria as they pass through the mother's birth canal. It is understandable for a mother to be concerned about the safety of her children. As long as a baby is born full-term, their immune system is already complete and well-developed, albeit still in a formative state. The immune system, after all, is excellent at what it does. But it cannot and does not protect from every infectious disease. That is why mothers are inclined to worry. Mothers may be fearful and worry about what they can do when their child's underdeveloped immune system cannot react effectively when encountering external infections. It is precisely for this situation that vaccines have been created. Conventionally, our immune systems are unable to respond to a virus that it has not been exposed to previously. However, vaccinations have the capacity to fortify a child's immune system and boost the child's capabilities in recognizing and fighting new viral threats. The vaccines do this by introducing the child to the viruses in ways that do not harm them and allow their immune system to learn how to fight off an infection, despite the intrinsically dangerous nature of the pathogen. Now we come to the second point in this section, dealing with how medical science provides us with vaccines. Let's start with the smallpox vaccine. Thanks to the widespread inoculation against smallpox, it became the first virus to be completely eradicated as the result of scientific efforts. Smallpox used to be a global threat with a high mortality rate. For example, in Europe, an estimated 60 million people died from smallpox between 1600 and 1700. It's believed that by 1800 nearly everyone in England had had smallpox at least once in their life, many bore the scars to show for it. Smallpox's dangerous spread led to scientists throughout Europe dedicating themselves to creating a vaccine. Research into smallpox vaccination was already at an advanced stage in ancient China, thanks to the method known as variolation. Doctors used the dried scabs of donors who were in the process of recovering from smallpox. The scabs were ground into powder, and the powder would then be blown into the nostrils of a healthy person, creating a somewhat unreliable version of inoculation. In 1774, in England, a farmer famously used a darning needle to take pus from a cow and use it to inoculate his wife and children against cowpox, a disease closely related to smallpox. His experiment succeeded. The woman and the children were exposed to smallpox several times during the course of their lives without ever contracting the disease. Twenty years later in England, Dr. Edward Jenner extracted pus from a blister on a milkmaid's hand and used it to inoculate an eight-year-old boy. The boy had a mild fever, but it passed quickly, and later when he was exposed to smallpox, he did not contract it. Encouraged by the results, Jenner reenacted his experiment on several other people. Jenner's contribution was a significant landmark in the history of vaccination. Although Jenner could not explain why vaccination worked, his observation-based approach was later shown to align with good clinical principles in medical research.
In the past, the English word inoculate referred to the botanical method of grafting a bud onto another plant. Later, the term was used to describe the metaphorical grafting of the disease onto the human body. Inoculation revolved around exposing the body to the virus at tiny, less dangerous levels. The subject thereby gained immunity without succumbing to the full disease. Over the long course of humankind's struggle against infections, the methods of inoculation have gradually improved. Because we now benefit from years of experimentation, we stand on the shoulders of giants and can protect ourselves against long-standing debilitating and lethal diseases. Since vaccination is a necessary tool in the fight to eradicate a disease, we arrive at an important question. How many people need to be vaccinated until the disease is gone? This is the third point in this section, reaching herd immunity. This tells us that the expression herd immunity originated in the research community, engaged in experiments with bacterial infections in mice. Later, the term crossed over, gaining widespread use with the introduction of mass vaccine programs. Indeed, the aim of reaching herd immunity is not served by vaccinating a single individual. This may be because of variables in subjects' physical health conditions or defects in the vaccine itself. However, when enough people are vaccinated, it becomes difficult for the virus to find a new host. With mass vaccination, even those who have not been vaccinated or whose vaccine is for whatever reason less effective can also be protected. Once again, let's consider the situation with smallpox. In ancient times, when there was no smallpox vaccine, one person contracting the disease was enough to cause an entire group of people to become infected. When smallpox carrier A comes into contact with a group of people, the virus will spread from A to B, then on to C, D, and so forth. People cannot do anything to halt the spread and can only watch as more and more people die. However, when a large number of people in a given community are vaccinated against smallpox, something different happens. Smallpox carrier A comes into contact with B. If B has been vaccinated, but the vaccine has not made them immune, B becomes a carrier. B can still potentially infect C and D. However, if C and D have been immunized, then the virus will not spread any further. Only A and B will remain infected, and that is where it stops. This constitutes herd immunity. In other words, when enough people are vaccinated, those who have not received the vaccine or have not been successfully immunized will still be indirectly protected. The vaccinated population shield others because the virus cannot use them to carry it further. Therefore, taking vaccination is not only of an individual's benefit. It concerns everyone's health and well-being. This concludes the first section of today's bookie. We have referred to immunity as people's ability to avoid contracting a disease, despite being exposed to it. The immune functions of the various part of the body make up our complex immune system. This natural barrier that protects us from external infections. However, our immune system cannot recognize all the different viruses if it has not encountered them before. Vaccination, therefore, allows the immune system to identify an otherwise unknown virus and protect itself against the disease it causes. Finally, herd immunity is obtained when groups of people have been vaccinated and can successfully contain the spread of an infection's virus. Thus, vaccination is not an act that concerns only an individual's health, it protects the health of entire populations. Today we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app.
Just search for B-O-O-K-E-Y at Apple Store or Google Play. Get your free mind snack now.